a guest and a ministry partner. Jason Schubert is a church planter for Mission to North America, living in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where he is establishing uh, a, a church, and, and we are one of the financially supporting churches and, and praying for him. I had the privilege of serving on the committee for the Presbytery that was looking for a church planter to go to Elizabeth City. Finding a church planter is not always easy, and when you have a place to go, uh, you're finding somebody who has a unique set of gifts and then trying to recruit uh, from among other presbyteries that are recruiting. And so as we had a group from Elizabeth City that was wanting to establish a new church, we knew what we needed, but also realized so do people in Atlanta and Dallas and San Diego, and we're thinking, all right, and then we're saying Elizabeth City. Um, church planters have vision and they have unique gifts and they're starting from nothing and they are wanting to see what God will do. And when you go to those other cities, it's almost incalculable what God can do if he's at work. Elizabeth City, there's only so many people that live there. So we knew that it would be an area of, of, of prayer. But through the many of the people that we were able to talk to and to look at, um, we were delighted when uh, Jason showed interest and sense of call. His story itself uh, lent them to that. We invited him and he came. Uh, we, I guess, extended the job offer to him in January of last year. And in February, he spoke to a Presbyterian retreat right after he had um, been to Elizabeth City for the first time. And I went to the chairman of our committee. I said, I knew we were right. I just didn't know how right we were. And subsequently, for the past year, hearing his uh, labors as he first was driving down to visit and as his family moved into uh, Elizabeth City, and hearing of the relationships they've been able to establish and the work that has begun. I'm excited as they are beginning worship in a couple of weeks, uh, public worship for the first time. Um, and so continue to pray for that, but we knew we better get him in before he's not able to come back uh, because he'll be busy. So Jason, it's our pleasure, pleasure to have you. Please come share with us first of your work and then lead us in the word. Greetings from Elizabeth City. It's uh, good to be with y'all. Um, I forgot to tell the first uh, first service. We actually have a name now. Um, we are Harbor Presbyterian Church. So Elizabeth City is known as the Harbor of Hospitality, and so uh, hoping that people will ultimately find harbor and safety and shelter in Jesus. We brought that that name in, but. Um, I don't know if you know where Elizabeth City is. It's in the northeastern corner of North Carolina. Maybe you've seen the signs as you're on your way to the Outer Banks. Um, but we, uh, we moved there in July and have just been living, living life there, um, seeing how the Lord is already at work. We are not the beginning of the gospel reaching Elizabeth City, and we are not the beginning of, of God doing work there. It's been cool to see uh, how he's been at work in people's hearts and lives prior to us even showing up. Um, one of those, uh, I'll tell you a few stories so that you have some ideas of ways that you can be praying for us. Um, because without your partnership, uh, it's, it's just not going to happen. We need the, the whole of our presbytery praying and seeking the Lord to do, do a mighty work there. Um, but one guy, um, Michael, I met in a coffee shop in Elizabeth City in Muddy Waters. And I got uh, talking to Michael, and 
um, just found out that he had this, there's this growing interest in him to learn more about, about the Bible and about uh, the God of the Bible. He said it's something that was, has been on his mind and his heart since college. When somebody m- mentioned something to him that, that he said, they told me everybody has this God-shaped puzzle piece in your heart. And he says, I haven't been able to get that, that picture out of my, out of my head. Um, I've been longing and searching and trying to find how can I fill that. And so he's been, been seeking and searching. And I was like, hey, you know, I'd love to, you know, if we could sit and talk and begin to explore this together. And he was open to it. So we've been meeting for a while. And eventually um, we started something in, our, in Elizabeth City, uh, these Christianity Explored Bible Studies, which is basically we're going through the gospel of Mark. We're looking at who Jesus is what he came to do, and what it looks like to follow him. And Michael was very eager to, to come to the, the studies. And that first night, uh, we asked this question, what's, what's the best news you've ever heard? And Michael said, well, if, if the gospel's true, then it's the best news I've ever heard. Um, I don't know if it's true. Uh, that's why I'm here. But if it's true, I can't think of any better news that could be out there. And uh, so we've been journeying along with Michael. Um, I, I met with him just a few weeks ago, and uh, he's been going from church to church in Elizabeth City because he wants to learn more. And I said, man, I, I said, we haven't started up yet. We hope to do so, and we will. Our first worship services should be Palm Sunday. Uh, keep that in your prayers. But I said, I want to continue to journey with you and as you're exploring and learning more about Christ. And I'd love to have you a part of our, our church and our community. And um, he said, oh, he's like, I've just been visiting these other churches waiting until you start up. He's like, I'm going to be there. Um, and uh, so please, please pray for, pray for Michael. Uh, an, another group of people and place that we've seen God at work. I, I got an office when I moved to Elizabeth City because we have three kids now, and working from home just wasn't going to cut it. So I found an office in the bottom of the old Virginia Dare Hotel, which is now called the Virginia Dare Apartments in downtown Elizabeth City. And it's been converted into a, a, a home for uh, elderly, lower-income residents in Elizabeth City. And my office is on the first floor, and right outside of my office window is the smoker's table. And uh, I've enjoyed my afternoons as people gather out there to go sit and just hang out and talk with them and then at first you know I you know I sat down they found out what I I was doing and you know when it was time for them to to smoke they would get up and they'd kind of walk over to another table and sit down and you know so sometimes it'd just be me sitting there as everybody else whenever and I finally said hey you know what like I feel like I'm your guest here you've invited me into your your space and this little community I said please if it's not going to bother me at all I want to get to know you and uh you don't need to leave to smoke you can do that you can do that right here and so that began to develop some some relationships and some friendships with guys like Arthur and Ed and a guy named Larry Larry is he doesn't live in the Virginia Dare he just likes to come and hang out at the smokers table um well, one day I show up, and 
Larry's there with Arthur, and Arthur's nephew is, is there. And Larry goes, hey, man, you, uh, you need to take this boy right here into your office. You need to sit down and have a, have a talk with him. He's, he's struggling with all sorts of stuff, and maybe you can, you can help set him, set him straight. I'm like, well, all right. Um, so I go in there, and, you know, we, we talk. He tells me some financial struggles he's have, having and issues with his job and his landlord and, you know, eager to be in Elizabeth City and, and help and do something. You know, I'm like, all right, you just need 30 bucks. I'll, I'll help you out. Well, come outside, and he goes over, and he talks to his uncle Arthur, says something to him, and then he leaves, and he thanks me again. And Arthur goes, uh, I want to shake your hand. Um, he said, uh, you, you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk, and, and I, I respect that. I, that's a good thing you did. I want to I shake your hand. And, uh, and then I sit down beside Larry, and Larry goes, you just got scammed. And uh, he goes, I, I used to work all these churches and people around here. He's like, I know, how, I know how it works. He's like, he didn't need any money. He said he didn't know his landlord anything. He said, I bet if you go over and talk to his landlord, you'll find out uh, he's, his, he's already up to date on his rent. Um, uh, Larry's like, you need to help other people or people come to you. You just come and talk to me, and I'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. So my my hope is and larry has said he will come as have some of those other other gentlemen the people who have lived in the virginia dare apartments because we're only moving a block and a half down the street um that larry is the lord would draw larry to himself that he would head up our mercy ministry in elizabeth city um and uh one one other one other story for uh this family they moved in across the street from us and uh later July, after we had just moved in, some of the folks from our core group went over and helped them unload their boxes and get everything. They never would have gotten this truck unloaded if we hadn't come over there. Um, but as we got to know them, Brian and Jamaica, uh, we found out they were telling us the story about their house because it was a foreclosure and the house next to it was a foreclosure. And they're like, yeah, the, the owner of this house had an affair with the lady next door. And so both of their marriages wrecked and then their lost their houses and they went into foreclosure and now they're they're empty and that's how we were able to get such a great deal and uh, Jamaica looks over at Brian and she's like and that's not going to happen again and Brian goes well no it's not because my only friend is Jason and he wasn't being funny uh since they've moved in literally I, I believe I'm his only friend um he and his wife were their history they've been burnt by the church and so they've been keeping their distance and Attending one of those Christianity Explored Bible studies was their first little steps back, back towards it. But he's, he's isolated and alone and doesn't, doesn't know people. And us coming over and helping him move in and having them into our home and eating with him and his family has gone a, a long way. Um, and so there's lots of people in Elizabeth City and in Williamsburg, just like Michael and Ed and Arthur and Larry and Brian and Jamaica, um, and God has called us uh, to, to, we've been blessed to bless them, and it's, it's a privilege to partner with you to plant this church in Elizabeth City, and for us to see how God's going to be at work, and I pray that he will do the same here, so please, please keep us in your, in your prayers uh, over the next several weeks and months and years, because uh, it's, we're right in the beginning stages, so, um, well, I, uh, I have a family, uh, my wife, Lindsay, and then we have three kids, Adelaide, who's five, Beckett is three, 
and Greta is nine months old, and we like, we like books. We like to read, and I brought one of their favorites with me. And it, if you, just trust me, I, I think this connects to, the, to Philippians somehow. Um, but it's called Pete the Cat and his four groovy buttons. I don't know if you know much about Pete the Cat. Usually the books come with a CD because usually there's a song associated with it. But um, I'll read just a, a little bit of it to you. Pete the Cat put on his favorite shirt with four big, colorful, round, groovy buttons. He loved his buttons so much, he sang this song. My buttons, my buttons, my four groovy buttons. My buttons, my buttons, my four groovy buttons. Pop! Oh no! One of the buttons popped off and rolled away. How many buttons are left? Three. Four minus one equals three. Three groovy. Did Pete cry? Goodness, no. Buttons come and buttons go. He kept on singing his song. My buttons, my buttons, my three groovy buttons. My buttons, my buttons, my three groovy buttons. Well, the story goes on and Pete loses button three. And Pete loses button two, and Pete loses button one. And we'll pick up there after Pete loses button one. Pop! Oh no, the last button popped off and rolled away. How many buttons are left? Zero. Did Pete cry? Goodness, no. Buttons come and buttons go. Pete looked down at his buttonless shirt. And what do you think he saw? His belly button. And he kept on singing his song. My button, my button, still have my belly button. My button, my button, still have my belly button. I guess it simply goes to show that stuff will come and stuff will go. But do we cry? Goodness, no. We keep on singing. Now, that's a great book. It's a fun kid's book. But how would you feel if Pete the Cat were your counselor? And you bring to Pete your struggles and your anxieties and your worries, and Pete teaches you a song to sing. (laughs) Now, it might help with buttons, but if you're like me, there's things y'all are going through right now things that have been happening in your life, loss and hurt and struggles and pain. And a song just isn't going to cut it. It doesn't matter how loud you sing or how often you sing this song. The hurt and pain is too deep. In fact, you look down and you're like, it's so bad, I feel like I've lost my belly button. I have nothing in my life to give me any hope. The worry, the hurt, the struggle is deep. And this song is going to do nothing for me. What do we do? Where do we turn in the midst of our anxiety when we feel like we have lost our belly button? Well, hopefully, um, God's word can provide us more guidance than, than Pete the cat in this this situation. So 
If you would, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians is a, a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul is one of the early followers of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus has uh, appeared in, to Paul and called him to be one of his authorized spokespersons so that God can teach, or so that Paul can, can speak and teach and write uh, on, in God's behalf, giving God's word actually to his people. And so let's find out this morning as Paul writes to us what, how God would encourage us and where he would point us in the midst of our anxieties and our worries and our fears. So you really look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9 this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are great promises. Um, we desperately hope that they are true. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. Demonstrate and confirm and show us the trustworthiness of our Heavenly Father, of the good news that is found in your scripture. And Jesus, would you be glorified as you have entered into our world and made way for us to gather as God's people this morning. Would you be glorified through the preaching of your word? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, as Paul begins here, in verse 4, he, he starts, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And later, in, in verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. We might be tempted to think, Paul's been reading Pete the Cat. Rejoice in everything, Paul? Seriously? Don't be anxious about anything? Surely, Paul, you don't have a clue what I'm going through. Because if you did, you would understand that I have nothing to rejoice about. And anxiety and anxiousness and fear is all that comes up in my heart and my life. You don't know the phone call that I got last week telling me that I need to come in for tests and those results are coming up soon. What's going to come back? You don't know about the exam that I have this week. <clears throat> and if I fail it, I'm going to have a chance of losing my scholarship. What's going to happen then to my career, to school, to jobs? Paul, you don't, you don't understand what I'm going through in my marriage and the arguments and conversations and loneliness that we're experiencing. And I'm worried that I'm going to lose my 
my wife. I'm worried that I'm going to lose my husband. Rejoice? Seriously? What do you want me to do? do I, the only way I can think about it is if I just move to a place of apathy. Because if I don't care about what's going on, then maybe I could rejoice. Because it doesn't matter. It's all good, like Pete says. Or I can move to a place of, of just not, not caring. Is that, is that the solution, Paul, to my anxiety? Notice what, what Paul tells us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Seems that Paul isn't saying the solution to anxiety is apathy or not caring. Paul is saying the solution seems to be prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, pray. How is the solution and the way forward in the midst of anxiety, prayer? How does that begin to bring about any relief? I don't know if, if you were to probably watch my life a lot of times and write down a statement. This is what you would probably come to. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, Google. Because if, if I can just get enough information, I can maybe see if I can grasp and get control of the situation and fix it. A few years ago, uh, Lindsay had a miscarriage. And that was a difficult time for us. And, and it showed itself up when we found out we were pregnant again with Greta, our youngest daughter. And then all of a sudden, the anxiety starts creeping in. Am I going to lose another child? What's going to happen this time? Google, I need to know, what kind of vitamins do we need to take? Do we need some extra doctor's appointments, exercises, sleeping this way or that way? What are we going to do? Because I don't want to lose another wife. Google, Google, Google. Give me the information. Maybe I can deal with it. See, sometimes it seems like what's going on in the midst of our anxiety and where we're turning is in our anxiety, we're turning to ourselves. We're overwhelmed by our inability to do and fix the situation. And in our uh, house in King George, we lived in Virginia before we moved. We had smoke detectors in the house. And uh, sometimes after the power had gone out, you'd hear this, this sound in our house three o'clock in the morning in a sleeping baby's room. Chirp! Chirp! You go around and you're trying to find out where this beep is coming from. It's the smoke detectors. This is the way, they're, the way that they were designed to function properly is to draw their power. They were hardwired into the power source in our house. And they were designed to function that way. And they're not functioning in the most ideal way in the way that they were designed when they're having to draw off of the battery that's inside them. When they begin to draw off that, that own power, it drains quickly, and that chirp is letting you know something's not right, you're working in a way you're not designed to, um, and something needs to be corrected. 
think if we look at anxiety in our life, one way to look at it is like that little chirp in the smoke detector. It's letting you know you're depending on yourself. You're drawing from power that you weren't intended to rely upon. You've been created to be in dependence with your heavenly father. And your anxiety is showing you you're beginning to draw away from God and depend and trust on yourself. Notice what Paul tells us here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then in the end of verse 9, Paul tells us that as we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. You see, what, what God is telling us is that in the midst of our anxiety, instead of depending and trusting in ourselves, when we go to God, the promise that he's given us isn't a song to sing, but it's his very presence. He is promising, the God of peace is promising to be with you. Paul is writing this to us. It's the word of God. God is the one who is telling you, his people, who is telling me, I want you to bring everything to me. There's nothing too small or insignificant for you to to bring to me. There's no no time where I'm going to think, you know what? You've really been dealing with this problem for a long time. How old are you now? Come on, get over it. Quit bothering me with this. No, God says, bring everything to me. I am the God of peace, and I have drawn near to you in the person of Christ. And now in the midst of your difficulty and your hardship, I'm going to draw near to you, and I promise that I will be with you. Each, every other week, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, does the gospel not proclaim loudly to you from the, from the supper that God does indeed draw near to his people He has come near as Christ entered our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and he died for us and he will one day return. That is the God of peace who draws near. He isn't promising to take away all the stressors, all the difficulty. What he is promising is something better, that he will be with us in the midst of it. You see, the good news and the hope that this passage brings is that because the God of peace has drawn near to us, and does draw near to us, we can move away from ourselves and towards God in the midst of our anxieties and our fears. But there's, there's other effects that anxiety has in our lives as we draw into ourselves. Um, when, when I was in uh, Elizabeth City, one of my first visits, I was walking downtown, and this guy passes me as I'm walking down Poindexter Street. And he has a monkey on his shoulder. Now, I mean, maybe there's colonial monkeys, and you're used to seeing them downtown in Williamsburg, but they're not, they're not in Elizabeth City much. Well, I mean, apparently there's one. Um, so I, I had to stop this guy and talk with him. And I noticed he was, he was kind of standing back the whole time we were talking. You know, I found out his name was Tim. The monkey's name was Ozzy. Ozzy was Tim's third monkey. And um, he had raised Ozzy since he was a, a little baby monkey. Um, and, you know, I got talked to Tim just for a little bit. I could tell he didn't really want to be there. So I stick my, stick my hand out to shake his hand before, before he leaves. And he goes, 
Uh, nope, I can't do that. Can't shake your hand. I'm like, why? Uh, you know, it's not going to bother me. I just want to, just, I enjoyed getting to know you. And he goes, um, he won't let me. You see, I've raised Ozzy since he was uh, a baby. And for some reason, he doesn't like me to get close to people, especially men. I'm like, you sure? And then Ozzy jumps off his shoulder, runs down his arm, and tries to get me. In some ways, our anxiety can function like little Ozzy's. There are certain things that have happened in our life, uh, maybe especially in the context of relationships where we've been hurt and we've been wounded. We've extended trust and we've opened ourselves up to people and they've hurt us deeply. And because of that, we're afraid if we ever get close again, we're going to be wounded again. And so we've nurtured these anxieties and these fears because it seems like it gives us a little bit of protection. And when we get close, that anxiety pokes up again like a little Aussie saying, don't get too close, you're going to be hurt again. You're safer not being so connected to people. Protect yourself. What does Paul say? to this temptation to, in the midst of our anxiety, to draw into ourself and move away from people. Notice, notice what he says in verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That, that term reasonableness is, uh, has the idea of forbearing, of compassion, mercy, the benefit of the doubt. Paul is saying as you interact and engage with people, deal with them in that way. And that just assumes, though, that what Paul is saying, if it's to be known to everyone, at least some sort of relationship is at play. There's connections with other people. But it actually shows up more uh, in a different translation. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate this for you into the, the, the S-E-S-V, the, su- the Southern English Standard Version. And listen to how Paul brings this, this out. Y'all rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, y'all rejoice. Let y'all's reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard y'all's hearts and y'all's minds in Christ Jesus. Now, how can we corporately and collectively present our requests and be presenting those requests on behalf of one another if we're not in community and relationship with each other? If we aren't opening our lives to one another and sharing our our hurts and our fears and our pain, reaching out and saying, I need you. Can you please come with me to our Heavenly Father and ask him to be at work and moving in our in my life, and in your life. You see, what Paul is promising is that the God of peace comes near. He guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. If you notice, it says in verse 7, that in Christ Jesus, part of what that means is that as we look to Christ in faith, we've been brought into him. We've been made members of the people that he represents. That means we're in community Those who partake of the Lord's Supper with you, who are members of this church, you look around and what that communicates to you is 
They needed Jesus too. Christ died for them. They know the mercy and grace that Christ has sent to them. Let's come together and in demonstration of the reality that we need Jesus, be open about our fears and anxieties together that corporately we all can present our requests to God. And the promise that we have is that our God will be with us and will comfort our hearts and our minds because the God of peace comes near. And maybe, maybe the way that you experience the nearness of this God of peace is through his people. As he demonstrates and shows his love to you as people mourn with you, as they cry with you, as they pray with you, as they celebrate with you. You see, because the God of peace has come near, we're able to move away from ourselves and our anxiety and move towards others. But it's, the temptation isn't there just to move away from God and to ourselves or move away from, uh, move to ourselves and away from, from others. But there's another aspect that anxiety is it creeps up, this effect that it has in our life and in our, our experience. And that is, is we can find ourselves wanting to isolate ourselves from the surrounding culture and the world. I mean, maybe you've been tracking along in the news and your anxiety is rising as this new election cycle comes up. Who's going to run this country? And depending on who it is, what is going to happen? What is going to happen to our, our society, to our, our country? Um, what, what is going to be in place for my children or the future of our, of our nation? What is it going to mean for our churches and for our community? Or you, you could even look in other, other ways, looking at the, the, the hurt and the pain that is happening through uh, what's going on in our society, whether it be through sex trafficking or child abuse, abortion. You look worldwide and see how communities are, are still being slaughtered and oppressed throughout the nation or throughout the world. And you could look and say, man, there's nothing good going on. We're in danger. I'm afraid for everyone. Anxiety, worries building up. The best hope we have is to huddle up and bunker down because at least I can keep my family and our little church community safe from all the craziness out there. Well, if that's a thought you may have had from time to time, the Philippians could relate to you. You see, Paul, when he first arrived in Philippi, he met a lady named Lydia who was a business owner. She made purple things and sold them. Well, she came to know Christ. And as Paul was interacting in that, that business community there in Philippi, he met a girl who was being kept in slavery and being used by these men as a fortune teller to make money off of her. She was oppressed by demons. Paul delivered her. And everybody got really mad because following Jesus had impacted the way economics functioned in Philippi. And all of a sudden, Paul's arrested. He and his partners end up getting beaten. Eventually, they're released. But if you're, a Philipp if you're attending and a member of this Philippian church, what are you beginning to think, possibly? Man, there's nothing good in Philippi. These people are crazy. 
And if we get let them know much about what we're doing and if we follow Jesus too much and engage in the world out here, it's going to mean bad stuff for us. Maybe we should bunker up because that's the only hope we have in their anxiety and their fear. But notice, notice what Paul says. Again, back in verse 5, let your reasonableness, your forbearing, your compassion, your mercy be known to everyone. Everyone needs to see as you engage those not just in the church, but those outside of the church. He continues in in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this list Paul gives, truth, honorable, justice, purity, loveliness, and he he goes on. That's not a Jewish list of character qualities. Paul's actually uh, using things that have been known in in the Greek world. This is a Greek list of virtues, things that they would have held in value and uplifted in the society. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? Look around. There is uh, good, there are good things happening within Philippi. There are true things. There are honorable people and things that are happening. There is justice happening. There is purity. There is lovely. There are things that are commendable and excellence. Sometimes it may be hard to see, but it's there. You know why? The God of this world who has created all things has made man in his image. And as much as we can distort that that image shining out in us, it's still there. These folks can't escape the fact that they live in God's world and they're demonstrating his goodness ever so dimly. Paul says, recognize it, see it, appreciate it. But he he keeps on, he says, what you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. You see, you're still gonna maybe encounter difficulty. Paul did. But Paul's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. How do we see Jesus respond to enemies, to those who rejected him and abused him? Jesus demonstrated mercy and compassion and love, and he pursued them, demonstrating to us that the God of peace draws near in the midst of brokenness and pain. And Paul's promise is that when we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. We will have the privilege to participate in what God is doing as he draws near through us to Williamsburg. As he sees, as this community sees evidence in you, the fact that God draws near to sinners, to those who are broken and hurt and in need of restoration and healing and redemption. See, these promises of God free us up to move away from ourselves and towards God in the midst of our, our anxiety, to move away from ourselves and, and towards others in the midst of our society and our Christian community, and to move away from ourselves and toward the broader culture. God is making good promises to us that he will draw near. Um. 
If you might recognize this, some of you may call this a uh, racquetball racket. We, we call it the getter. Uh, the bee getter, to be exact. Um, when we lived in King George, uh, up in outside of Fredericksburg, I got an incredible deal on a swing set off of Craigslist. And not only did it come with swings and a slide, but it came with a colony of carpenter bees. And, you know, you could say, you know, I got this because I was so kind and wanted to be generous to my kids and for them to be able to have something to play on and enjoy outside and for us to play on it together because I did get a swing set that I could swing on. Um, honestly, if, if you look at how I treated them in the swing set, it was really because of my selfishness that I got it. Because if they're out of the house, then I'm by myself and I can do what I want to do. So after a long winter, it had been time for them to go outside. So I'm like, hey, go outside, play on the swing set. They're out there for a little bit. And then I hear this. Daddy, daddy, the bees, the bees. So, you know, in their anxieties and their fears, my kids are calling out their requests and their supplications to their father. And what do I give them? but a good dose of logic. They're carpenter bees. They eat wood. You aren't made of wood. They won't bother you. Keep playing. And I go back to what I'm doing. Well, that lasts for a little bit until I hear it again. Daddy, daddy, the bees, the bees. Didn't work the first time, so why not try it again? They're carpenter bees. They eat wood. You're not made of wood. You're okay. Keep playing. But daddy, get the getter. So I'm like, all right, I'll go out there. Maybe if I take care of them, things will be a little more peaceful inside. So I go out and start swatting beats. And this works really good because they just shoot across the yard. My neighbors love to see me doing it. Um, sometimes I would get text messages of them having seen me out there. But, you know, the, the interesting thing was is I didn't get all the bees. I only made a small dent in the carpenter bee population in my backyard. But for some reason, my kids were able to play. Because really what they were longing for was the presence of their daddy. Now, I hope you know that you have a greater and better heavenly father than one with my parenting skills. Um, you have a father who is not bothered or inconvenienced by your cries in the midst of your anxieties. When you cry out to him, he is eager and he longs to hear you and he longs to come near. And the promise that we have that the gospel shows us and that Paul through this letter is communicating to us this morning is that the God of peace, our heavenly father, draws near to us. And in the midst of our anxieties and our fears, that is a great, great comfort. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gospel is true. We thank you that it's not just some uh, 
myth or silly kid's story, but it is the reality that you entered into our world. You came near to us in Christ. You are drawing near to us even now, and you will come again to make all things new. Strengthen us as your people. Nourish our faith. Draw us closer to Christ as we call out to you for your glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.